it solved one of the big challenges that, that every SaaS founder has, which is like finding your first customers. We had dozens of customers on our first day and got to 10,000 a month pretty quickly. Hello and welcome back to Indie Bites, the podcast rhyming you stories of fellow indie hackers in 15 minutes or less. Today, I'm joined by Craig Hewitt, who is the founder and CEO of Castos, a podcast hosting and analytics platform which has done millions in revenue and also has a services arm for podcast production. He's been podcasting for almost a decade, having started his own show, Rogue Startups, in 2014, and shortly thereafter, his production service called Podcast Motor, which he then folded into Castos. In this episode, Craig touches on how Castos has grown significantly with content and investing in SEO to make sure that his content ranks. So you savvy indie hacker if you want some of that free organic traffic the first step is to do an seo audit you can see which keywords your pages are ranking for understand how google sees your content and discover how making changes on your site can help blow up your traffic head to hrefs.com webmaster tools and try it out that's ahrefs.com there's a link in the show notes too let's get into this chat with craig craig welcome to the pod how are you doing Hey, James, doing great. Thanks so much for having me. So take us back before Podcast Motor. What were you doing? Did you have any little entrepreneurial ventures then? Yeah, I mean, I guess I've always kind of grown up in an entrepreneurial family. My dad was, you know, a business owner. His dad was a business owner. His dad was a business owner. I had a a brief stint in kind of entrepreneurship before all of this, and it it went okay, but kind of, you know, getting married and needed some air quote security. Uh, So I went back to, to corporate life for a bit. And actually, I think that like, Corporate life is a really good training ground for for being an entrepreneur, especially if you can get into like my my situation was I was in sales, I was in field based sales, so I kind of controlled my own schedule, and you can make as much money as you want essentially. And so I think it's not so unlike being an entrepreneur, where a lot of the responsibility for your performance is, is only on you. You can com- complain and blame other things, but ultimately, like in sales, you just have to perform. What What were your dad and granddad? What were they all doing? They were all uh, home builders. Didn't fancy that for yourself? It's funny. For a while, I did. I thought, you know, Dad, I could just kind of take over your business. You know, my son is 10, and he's like, Dad, I want to work for Castos <laughs> later. And I'm like, that, <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, I, you know, to, to have a family business that you can pass down is something that a lot of us in the fast-paced build and scale and sell kind of world that a lot of us live in, you know, don't even think about. So I think it's something we discount just right off the bat. And we could we could think about like, hey, how could this be around for you know twenty or thirty years? That that's a pretty cool thing to think about. So podcast meter twenty fourteen. Why was podcasting a space that you wanted to go into? I kind of cut my teeth on podcasting as a listener, right? Like like a lot of folks, like you you listen to a bunch of podcasts. For me back then, it was like Smart Passive Income, Tropical MBA, and was just like, man, this is great. This seems so easy. I'm sure I could just do this. And so started my podcast called Rogue Startups to to kind of just like participate in that space, right? I wanted to interview and just be be part of the community. I figured the best secret of podcasting in a B2B setting is networking, right? So like you can meet wonderful people like you and I met and just have a really cool in-depth conversation. And now we know each other and we can do things in the future. And and that led to just like seeing that like, wow, this is great, but this is like challenging. There's a ton to do on the back end after you record to create a really good podcast. Even eight years ago, it had to be really good quality. And so, you know, the need for a podcast motor was pretty evident from being kind of in the space and I guess eating your own dog food. At what point did podcast motor come after you started your rogue startup show? And was it a case of building this up on the side of your sales job and sort of seeing where it went just because you thought this was a service you could offer? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So it started really just a couple of months after I started my podcast. Yeah, I had a friend, or I still have a friend, Justin McGill, who ran Leadfuse and now runs Content at Scale, kind of an AI writing service. 
And he had this like, hey, I'm going to build lead views in a day, like build in public, build in a day kind of thing. And I was like, I can do that too, right? I just need a website for Podcast Motor and a Stripe form, put it out there. And I did. And yeah, it was definitely kind of on the side nights and weekends. And it was that way for about a year and a half until I quit my day job. Do you know it's sort of what revenue you quit your day job to go in on Podcast Motor? I think we were doing about 15000 a month. And when you started it, were you doing all of the editing yourself or did you go straight in with the business mindset? You would do the sales and then find editors to do it for you. Yeah. I, I mean, the nice thing about starting a product or service while you still have a day job is like all of the money can go back into the business. And so like mm-hmm. I did the first couple of customers by myself and then pretty quickly like hired show note writers because like that was the part I didn't want to do. I could do the audio editing for a while. And then hired audio editors and kind of kept scaling like that until we were kind of eight or 10 people. Now, Craig, you're non-technical and now you have a SaaS business, which we'll talk about. But we briefly chatted before recording about this stair-stepping approach, which is where you basically start out with a productized service and you can work your way towards a SaaS tool. Is this the sort of approach you took when you started Podcast Mater? Yeah, totally. I mean, I guess I didn't even know that I wanted to get into to software. You know, and I, I have a lot of mixed feelings about SaaS at this point, you know, after being <laughs> in it for, for a long time. Like, it definitely has the allure of, like, you, you can scale it really quickly. It can be mega profitable and all these kinds of things. And I think that's definitely true. I think the, the counter argument to that is there is a ton that needs to go into just maintaining a software product. You know, developers, designers, product people, support. But with a product as a service, you don't have all the upfront investment of building the product. I started Podcast Motor and I think the goal was always to like do something bigger, right? And so that could have been like grow it and make it bigger, maybe start like a video editing service just because the dollars are so much bigger mm. on the video side. And then kind of out of the blue came an email from one of our customers, Brad Tunard, founder of Delicious Brains. He was like, hey, I have a buddy who has this podcasting plugin for WordPress. His name's Hugh Lashbrook. The plugin's called Serious and Simple Podcasting. I know you want to get into like product stuff. Maybe this would be an interesting way for you to, to like get into product. The, the plugin was like entirely free at the time. So we acquired the plugin and then built the first version of Castos. So was the plan for the acquisition of Seriously Simple Podcasting to get into the hosting space for Castos when you sort of thought about acquiring it? Yeah. And I think that like I, I wasn't smart, right, at the time, but it's the smart it's maybe the smartest thing I've ever done, right? Because like we, we acquired the plugin for not a lot of money. And what we did is not acquire a plugin, but a customer acquisition channel that is essentially evergreen, right? You need to support the customers of the free product. It is kind of our freemium offering. But now we get customers every day from this plugin that has been there for a long time. And so like I think this is something as people are looking to stair step from like a consulting to productized service to product, like that's a big jump if you build the software to begin with. And so I think the the easier way maybe is like acquire or partner or white label or something like that to make a bit of that transition easier. It solved one of the big challenges that, that every SaaS founder has, which is like finding your first customers. We had you know, dozens of customers on our first day and got to 10,000 a month pretty quickly. Did you buy the plugin with money you've accumulated through the productized service? You say you were working yep. for a year and a half, so that meant you could reinvest the money into the business. So was it a case that instead of building a SaaS, you had the money here, you had that opportunity and the money was there to buy the plugin? Yep. And I think more expensively, fund the next like six months of development of the SaaS platform. Oh, of course. So how did you get people to start paying? Because podcasting back in 2016, 2017, even now, it's hard to find podcasters that want to spend money on 
their podcast a lot of people do it as a hobby when people see you have to pay 30 bucks a month for riverside they're like oh i'm not sure if i want to do that we can just use zoom that's free or i can use anchor that's free so how was it back in 2017 finding customers for it i think it's a lot like today even right yeah, there's free options, there's very cheap options, mm. and, and that's not what we are, right? We are a quality service for reasonable prices, is how I like to think about it, right? We have super rich features a lot for like our integration with WordPress, right? If you want to integrate your podcast with WordPress, hands down, like we're the best tool. If you want to repurpose your content in a bunch of different ways to reach your audience on kind of different platforms and different media, that's where we really kind of hang our hat. And so folks who want like just a podcast and they don't care about any of these kind of bells and whistles and advanced features. Yeah, I would say go use, you know, the Buzzsprout $6 a month thing or whatever. But for $19 a month, right, it's not that much. It's like two lattes at Starbucks. <laughs> you can get like a tool where you own your content. It's not owned by Spotify that's going to do all sorts of crazy stuff. Yeah. And it's it's a company that, that's been around for a while and is not going anywhere. And so that's an exercise in positioning. And and probably all, all companies have those, right? Like there are free alternatives to Riverside. And so Riverside has to say like, hey, how do we compete against Zoom, right? Or Google yeah. Meets or Audio Hijack or whatever. So I think that you're always going to have competitors, especially on the lower end. And I think it's it's really important for founders to not ignore them and really intentionally work and position themselves against those. Because there's always downward pressure in every market, right? There's new features. Hey, you know, this thing that we charge for is free now. Like that, that's what we all want to do because we think, hey, if I just give this thing away that really doesn't cost that much money or it's not that much work for us to build this feature, then like, I'll just get a bunch more customers. But really what you're signaling is like, you don't value this technology and these features as solutions to your customers. And so they won't either. And so I think the harder thing is like, hey, we're proud of what we do. <laughs> we think it's awesome. And we're going to ask maybe fewer people to pay us a little more money than, you know, the the more broad market of, you know, a MailChimp or an anchor. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about marketing and growth. So you've acquired this plugin, which already has users. So tick for getting the initial traction, right? What did you do from that point to start building out your marketing and content efforts to grow Castos into the million plus business it is now? Yeah, so we had been doing content marketing at Podcast Motor from the very beginning, like literally day one, writing blog posts, understood you know SEO and, and keyword research and hrefs and everything. And with Castos, just tried to do a lot more of that. We ultimately did fold, as you mentioned in the beginning, the podcast motor into the Castos brand. And so we're able to bring over all of that podcast motor content onto the Castos domain. It's been an evolution for me as, as far as like understanding content marketing at, at a really deep level. And so like it's obvious that like if you're going to start a podcasting company, you want to have an article about podcast gear and how to submit to Spotify. And, and I think the thing I realized over time is like each piece of content you create, a podcast, a YouTube video, a webinar, a blog post has a job. And the job of that isn't necessarily to get customers, right? It might be, but it might be links or it might be virality or it might be kind of social standing or something like that. As a podcasting company, where does podcasting sit in your sort of marketing funnel? Is it to help acquire new customers? Is it to build a deeper relationship with people that might have found Castos? It's still evolving for us, to be honest, right? I'll say the last couple of years, 
it has been a branding thing for us, right? We produce, our podcast is called Audience and it's super highly produced. Stuart from our team does it and it's a very narrative storytelling kind of podcast. And the goal there is like a lot of people, I think, we want that podcast of ours to be like our digital kind of business card, right? So when we go to sell our Castos production services, someone's just like, hey, show me an example of the kind of stuff you can do. We can say, cool, go listen to Audience. This is the best example of what a really kick-ass podcast is about podcasting for sure. And then subsequently, we're starting several new shows right now that each are in that kind of networking niche or, or kind of purpose for us, right? Well, I'll, I'll put links in the show notes to some of your Castle's original productions. Now, Craig, you, up until 2019, right, bootstrapped your companies to decent-sized businesses. Yet in 2019, you applied and got into a batch of tiny seed. Why did you do that? And what are your thoughts on other bootstrap companies when they get to a point looking to raise? Obviously, not every company should look to raise money. I think first and foremost, it's it's like a personal decision, right? Do you want to, I'll say, be the kind of person who runs a, a company that has investors and investment? Because what that implies is you have an obligation to them and not just to yourself and to your family and your co-founders and stuff. And, and so like, do you want the pressure and the responsibility and the implicit kind of outcome that your investors are expecting, right? Whether it's a tiny seed kind of thing where like they would get like a, a dividend or something like that over time, maybe if you, if you're a super profitable company, or if you raise like a proper round, like we raised a pre-seed round last year on a safe note, like those folks want to get paid, not just like a dividend. And so I think it, it puts the business on a little different trajectory, right? Like a, a true lifestyle business, like we we're talking about that we could run for 30 years and, you know, passed on to our family, taking proper financing, you kind of can't do that. The second is like, it, it, it puts pressure on you as a founder, 100%, yeah. right? You have to perform not just for yourself, but, but for other people. And then the third one is like, can you handle the mental load of having a burn rate, right? Because you're going to take money and spend it ahead of your revenue. And so are you okay with your bank account going down every month <laughs> instead of going up? And and I'll just tell you that it's a slight exaggeration to say that it literally killed me, but it was it was extremely difficult. Um, Craig, that sounds awful. Well, I mean, the, the thought is you you do this so that you end up way over here. And, yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. I'm, I'm doing this on the screen. So you, you start it, say you start, you raise money and you're at a million dollars and you invest a bunch in the business right now with a thought and in 18 months, you're at 2 million. It's not any different than if you were bootstrapped, you would do the same thing, but you would have been profitable. It's this the same math, except for you're just front-loading all those decisions in a, yeah. in a tighter time span. Do you think it was worth it for you raising? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. There's one other thing I noticed that you've done, Craig, and you started a new newsletter, as if you didn't have enough on your plate right now, called Founder Insights, where you're talking a little bit about your journey, similar to what you do on Rogue Startups. Why did you want to start a newsletter? Is it a case of building up subscribers for a personal brand to help you when you launch other stuff in the future, or you want to help other founders? Both. But uh, yeah, and a little bit more, I guess. So, so it's definitely a way for me to build my personal brand. I mean, Rogue Startups has been something I've done for a long time, 275 episodes, but it only reaches a certain type of audience, I think. And I see over and over these folks with big personal brands, I'll say life is just easier for them, right? <laughs> if you're Rob Walling and you want to go launch an incubator and you have an email list of 50,000 or 250,000 people and a podcast with 50,000 downloads an episode, you launching Tiny Seed is just easier than if I want to do it. I mean, Founder Insights, it's kind of real-time lessons that I've learned in running the business, usually from like that week. You know, James, the best part of it is it's kind of cathartic, like writing this newsletter every week and having to like process what I've learned into written form is really helpful. And I think this is where writing is better than podcasting because... You and I can come on and talk about this 
and I can kind of spew some shit. Might not be actually what I want to say, but like when you write it down and you go look at it two days later and you revise it and you revise it and you're like that, that's when it really codifies. And so it's, it's actually really helpful for me as a founder to be able to reflect on a regular basis on, on kind of what I'm learning. I end every episode on three recommendations, a book, a podcast, an indie hacker, entrepreneur, someone that inspires you. Yeah, so on the book side, Who Not How by Dan Sullivan. Absolutely fantastic podcast. I would have to say that like startups to the rest of us still is just like yeah. a really amazing resource. And then Indie Hacker, Moritz Dalsinger of Refiner. Fantastic. Craig, thank you for joining me on this episode of Indie Bites. Thanks, James. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Indie Bites. A big thank you to today's sponsor, Ahrefs, the best tool in the business for growing using SEO. There's three more things I'd like you to do before you go. First is my podcast with Dagobert Renouf called This Indie Life. Second is ad-free episodes of Indie Bites with the membership. And third, if you have a podcast and editing takes up all your time, drop me a message and I can help you out. All links, of course, are in the show notes. That's all from me. See you next week. <laughs>